love when the countdown happens and then there's like this look of consternation. You're like, what? I'm looking for my notes. <laughs> I was giving you shade and you're like, I'm trying to be prepared. I'm just trying to be prepared. <laughs> All right, ready? Yeah. Sorry. I just, I'm just. Don't say sorry. There's sorry, no, no sorry. There's no sorry in podcasting. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I am your host, Chris Savage. I am joined by the one, the only, the podcast producer extraordinaire, Sylvie Lubau. Give it up. Sylvie, we're here with another great episode. Let's another do it. Great one. Jay you know, Akunzo. No, Jay Akunzo. We can do that because he said we could. Uh, he said we could. <laughs> there's nothing like a podcast episode with a podcaster about podcasting. Jay is a showrunner. He's a creative strategist. He's a storyteller. He helps people be storytellers. He helps them figure out how to become capital T talent and all this kind of stuff is just one of those great episodes. That's just very meta, very fun. And I think you're going to learn a lot. It's a masterclass in storytelling. Really? It is. There you go. There you go. We're going to use those words. It's an actual masterclass, everybody. (laughs) Uh, But up first, we're here. We're back. We're in the studio. What's got you talking too loud, Sylvie? Um, Okay. This is what has me talking too loud. The other night, Saw another baseball game. We're not we're not talking too loud about baseball. We already know. Seeing a live baseball game, amazing, unparalleled. <laughs> Doesn't get better than that, folks. On the way home from said game, I was taking the Q train, seven to the Q, and someone got on who he was carrying a child's keyboard mm. and sort of scream singing. Like, okay. he was a performer, and this mm-hmm. was his... A busker? A busker. This was his thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, you you couldn't not laugh. Like, it was mm-hmm. so out there. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. And he's, like, singing, like, happiness. So I'm, like, looking at the person across from me, okay, on, on the subway. And I'm, like, smiling. And you know that moment where you're, like... You just want someone to like kind of be in there with you. Yeah. Like you don't a stranger. Want to be you don't yeah, want to you're be like, alone. We, we could both acknowledge this situation. This is. She was giving me nothing. Zero. So I'm talking too loud about the fact that people. <laughs> people need to show up for strangers. <laughs> when silly moments happen in life. <laughs> That's what I'm talking too loud about. Wow. Okay. I know. That was Very a weird specific. one. specific call out to the situational world. situational yet global please that's how i show roll. up for strangers in silly moments yeah. acknowledge the silliness we don't want to be yes, alone exactly. we want to be part of a community you yes. get it of course you get i get it, it. oh See? i'm the guy who's laughing too hard in everything so <laughs> yeah. like if i like if there's a movie and i'm like it's dark humor and i'm just like laughing like guffawing and I'm like, who else is with me? Who's here? I'm willing to go first, but come on, who's coming? Who's coming <laughs> in the water? And, uh, You're the Jerry Maguire of laughs. There That's you go. You. Yeah. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> what has got you talking too loud? You know, I think it's probably that my kids are back in school. Back to and school. It is very different vibe around here. It's quiet. It's bizarro. Yeah. My kids are so tired every day when they come home. They're like excited to go and they also don't want to go in the morning and then every day they report all the great things that happened and then they like fall asleep 
like an hour earlier. Dinner plan. And this is like the thing that people don't understand about parents with young kids is so much is predicated on just their sleep, right? Like, are these children sleeping? Are they sleeping <laughs> are in their the own beds? Sleeping? Are they sleep? What what hour are they going to bed? We just want to know. We don't care if they're all right. The kids yes. are all right. We don't are care. they sleeping? No, we're talking are about parents. Sleeping? Are the parents okay? Are the <laughs> oh, parents are the okay? Parents. Do you understand? Okay. There's this moment that's like normal, which is your kids go to sleep, especially if you have two. Once they're both asleep, you go. Oh, I can do adult stuff now. What can I do? And you're just like, you want to like read a book, you want to watch something or play a video game or talk Such to a friend. Such an adult. Just do, do something. <laughs> and so then in the summer, the kids just stay up later and later. They don't want to miss out and whatever. And so now back at school, they're tired. They go to bed earlier. I have my precious time and it's lovely. And so, you know me, I just... I'm a dad. I'm living my dad life. Uh, and <laughs> I'm very excited for that. But I'm also very excited for our guest, Jay. Very much a dad. Living that dad life. Excited about, uh, you know, I think his kids are four and two. So he's he's in the thick of it. He's in it. But he still is. He's fired up about creators, creating at work, how to get comfortable on camera, all these different sorts of things. So let's jump into that interview with Jay Akanza. All right, Jay. Well, look, good to see you, man. Thanks for coming Me on the too. show. Yeah, it's great to talk to you both. It's been a while. The it band is back while. together. I know, yeah. right? Here we yeah. are. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing I have to ask you is, what's what's got you talking too loud, Jay? <laughs> uh, so the immediate image that pops to my head, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And my little two-year-old is at the stage now where he worships his sister, but he can't say the words that she she's been speaking out loud. I mean, her language yeah. is insane. We like to joke. Yeah. There's no inner monologue with my daughter. There's only monologue. <laughs> and my wife is introverted. So we're like, yeah. hmm, where did she get that from? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My son has been a little bit more quiet, but around his sister, he just parrots everything that she says. And yeah. so lately what she's been doing is she's just been like shouting out some kind of weird magical command from some Disney show with like a wand in her hand. And my son can't quite muster the same syllables, but he's like uh -huh. trying really hard and then like uh -huh. chases her down the hall shouting it. So <laughs> the thing that has me talking too loud is, you know, we had a dog before we had kids and, and I was yeah. like, this is the greatest creature of all time. Yeah. And my friend yeah. who had a daughter was like, you don't even know. And I was yeah, like, yeah. I couldn't possibly love anything more than I love my dog. My kid would be ahead of it. But like similar, nope, different universe once you have one kid. And I was like, all right, that's it. I'm done. I can't possibly love anything else. How am I going to find room for number two? And then two years ago, we have number two. And it's like, oh, there's plenty of love to go around. There's nothing in the world that I would love more than my relationship with each of my kids. Oh, wait, no, there, there is something more, which is watching my two children love each other and play with each other. Yeah. I thought you were going to say you wanted a third and a fourth and a fifth <laughs> after that. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> One of the things non-parents don't know is coming if they have friends with kids, even if you don't have kids yourself, is there are people in your life who are awesome couples who eventually have this like impasse they reach, which is like they're not on the same page about the number of kids. Thank God my wife and I were both like, we want two, That's right? Dicey. And then, That's yeah, dicey. We, yeah, we were like, we knew that yeah. heading in. There's a lot of people who have that third. And then it's just like, it goes from man to man to zone, you know? And yes. it's even harder, which is hilarious. Yeah. So, no, one, one kid is like one kid. Two kids is like 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in the thick of it, man. Four and two. I appreciate you they even being able to get on this right now. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's this, very are you challenging. kidding me? This is... This device is the only place I feel alive, Chris. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> 
this is getting too real too fast. Okay. <laughs> what has you, I mean, I know a lot's been going on in your career and like in your community and everything, but what has you fired up at work right now? Like what's got you really pumped to work? Yeah, I think it's the resurgence of this need to understand like the hidden craft behind the created work, like the stuff that comes from the individual that is not some checklist, like the stuff that requires you to trust yourself more than a blueprint. Mm. It's always been important to think like that, but now it's urgent because if it's just following a checklist, we have tools now that can just do it, right? So I like to say I'm trying to help experts, people who have done a really hard thing, you know, they have expertise. I'm trying to help them step into the spotlight. I want to see them create more valuable work, more original work, higher impact things, like get off the content hamster wheel, do things that could only come from them. A joke I have with my um, producer of my show, Alana, we talk about like the creative fingerprints part of the production process. Like we're looking at, I don't know, telling the story of this entrepreneur or, you know, my show tells a lot of stories of people who create content. And then we're thinking about, well, where's our creative fingerprints? Why is this uniquely from us? Yeah. And how does that make it an original? How does it make it both valuable to the audience? Because we don't want to just pull some stunt to try and stand out. Look, we're different. It's not that. It's authentically from ourselves. How is this coming from us, from our perspective? Um, and so we did that. We've said that phrase for about a year now. And, and then, you know, as AI has gotten more and more popular, one yeah. of the jokes that has arisen is, you know, LLMs, large language models, right? Bots are fueled by, powered by, like their foundation is an LLM, a large language model. Okay. Well, human creators, human storytellers are also powered by an LLM. Little life moments. And I do see this very bright line emerging between the folks that trust themselves enough to draw from those little life moments to create things, to imbue the work with their perspective, to even just tell small stories that arrive at big meanings, like not as case studies, but as allegories, really. Like, here's something that I observed that reminded me of this profound insight about our work. I see a line between the people willing to do that and the people who are not. And I'm trying to make sure more people are. Yeah, I love that. And I, I want to go deeper. I'm also realizing that if someone doesn't know you, I would love for them to have the highest level view of who Jay is. So can you, can sure. you give us... I mean, I, I was also trying to think, what, the first time that you and I worked together, was that the promotion of one to 100 or is it before that? Do you like remember? in a formal capacity, yeah. 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 I mean, we knew each other through the yeah, Boston tech scene yes. for a while. You know, I started at, at Google in the Boston office, uh, was the head of content for HubSpot briefly, worked for a tiny startup, and then a VC firm all in Boston. We've been, you know, running in those circles for a yeah, while. Yeah, it was the first time we worked together, I mean. Is, yeah, the formal that, right? capacity. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I remember I worked with... Um, I'll never forget the premiere of 110-100 because it was such a cool project at an actual theater too. Yeah. Um, in Kendall Square, I think, yeah. at Cambridge. Yeah. And the first formal capacity that I worked with Wistia was helping advise on the trailer and the positioning yes. of and like the premise articulation of the the documentary series. Um, and actually, if you flash forward, I can draw a straight line from that moment working on the premise of the series yeah. to a lot of the work I do now is working behind the scenes I like to joke I'm sort of like the Rick Rubin of podcasting with less beard and no psychedelics, <laughs> yeah. uh, but for experts. Like I am working with experts to feel like, okay, you have expertise. I want you to take that expertise and create an original premise, like no more generic shows. So a bulk of my business is that. And if I remember correctly about the trailer for One to 100, it was basically you were pushing us and you're like, hey, there's not enough drama in this thing. 
Like you need to bring the drama into this moment. We and love I remember the drama. And I remember yes. that was like the moment that we were like, oh yeah. And we went back and looked at like the, re- and we're like, oh, this, this moment is drama and this moment is drama. And like, yeah, we're going to smash the drama together into the trailer. And that was this interesting a moment, I think for probably all of us, because like the premiere was crazy, but also like the trailer of one ten one hundred was seen millions and millions of times yep. and we use yep. it as an ad. And so a lot of people just saw it was like, oh, Wistia made this feature length documentary. Yes. And so that was like this, it was all these layers of the onion. So it was like a cool thing to think about. And like, you know, today, even talking about little life moments, like I want to get there on advising people about both like, how do you start if you're an expert Mm -hmm. and you've never done this, like you've never been on camera or you've never written your thoughts like publicly, but you are an expert. Right, right. And then like, how do you get comfortable to actually share those little life moments. Yes. And I'd, I'd like to help people do it more quickly than I did. It because <laughs> my, my, until very recently, my advice was like, or if people were so kind as to care what I did before and ask me, like, how did you get there? I would just be like, um, I made a ton of stuff that nobody cared about. And, yeah. you know, I still think that matters. I still yeah, think, I agree. You know, having a creative practice matters. And I think, whether you call it the creator economy or not, that's kind of swallowed up the idea of, of a practice. Yeah, and part of that's basically failure and obscurity, right? Like, yeah. if you're making stuff constantly, not everything can hit. And people- Not everything I, will hit. Not no. everything can, not you're everything will hit. You're gonna make some hit. duds. Yes, and it's a very weird thing to produce something and you send it out into the world and it gets seen by whatever, 50,000 people. And then the next day you produce something, you put it out to the world and it gets seen by like 300. And you're right. like, what just happened? Like, I thought I write things that 50,000 people read. They're like, but today I wrote a thing that 300 people read. I'm like, I'm not yeah. even sure this is worth the time. And like, is this embarrassing? Is this bad? You know, and I, it's this weird, but that's the normal thing for most yes. of us, right? It's like, right. you're going to have a lot of 300s in there. Totally. You have to get used to it. Yep. So I have, I have three lines of business, keynote speaking developing shows for clients. And then I run a mastermind group called The Creator Kitchen, which is for business storytellers. And it all kind of stacks neatly on top of each other, skyscraper model style. But for many years, I was very much like a strip mall. I was just like, I'm doing this project and this project and this project. And that was me taking the creative practice mentality and just applying it like without thinking to my actual business. But I think like actually having a line between the two is useful. Like I was since 2005, which is wild to say out loud on a microphone. I've been writing on the internet. And like, I don't know what the average view count is for those articles, but if I it literally, if you put a gun to my head and you're like, guess right now, I would say 57. Yeah. 57 yeah, yeah. views per, you know? And because it was only for me, it was to show up on a deadline, figure out who I am, figure out what I had to say, you know, like, and, and just have periodic moments where I was like, well, that was pretty good. And the, yeah. I just had to appreciate it myself because yeah. I knew I wasn't getting a claim or I wasn't getting audience or anything like that. So like the practice is what I call that. And I think we've lost sight of the need to practice, which is insane. But it makes sense when you look at like the optics of social and the heat around the creator economy. It's like everything you do must be monetized. Everything you do must be like, the, quote unquote, the game. And I think that's actually doing yourself a disservice. I love that. And can you go into, so working with clients, helping people get comfortable to share those moments. How do you get someone to that place? Yeah. At a conversation, this is emblematic of this. I think it's a really good story because it happened yesterday. So I've been working with this woman who she used to work for like Apple and YouTube, and now she works for uh, Flipboard, which some people in tech might know. And 
she has a visible job. She's front facing in marketing. She creates yeah. a lot of content for the company. But we started working together to try and get her own name out there and carry the banner of the brand. But that's you and I agree, Chris, is where the world is heading. It's, it's yes. about the individual. It's about the person and the people, not the logo. Um, and so we were starting that process together behind the scenes. And literally yesterday, it, be, it marked a year of us starting to work together in a, in a behind the scenes capacity. And she was saying, she hosts a podcast about the art of curation. That's the name of the show from Mia Aquagliarello, The Art of Curation. Incredible show. Important topic. The role of human taste in curation. But she said the, the last guest she had asked her a question that she felt nervous to try and answer. And mm. she showed up in our coaching call to try and figure out the right answer. And we took it in a completely different direction. So here's what happened. So she, the guest said, well, okay, so how would you define curation, Mia? I mean, like you host the art of curation. And she doesn't have like a pithy definition right now. And her response to that and knowing that in the moment was to try and invent one. And I listened mm. back to the clip and it's like, you know, she gets close, but it's not quite there. And in our coaching call, she's like, can we come up with it? So the next time I'm ready. And I was like, well, actually, let's just listen to that moment again. Because here's what you should have done, which is essentially be more you, which is you should have said in the moment, all right, well, that's a great question, Chris. And to be honest, you know, I actually don't have a really great answer. Let me, I'm going to try my hand at it in a second, but maybe then after you hear my definition, you can share yours, Chris. Then let's talk about like, why is it so hard to define this? Yeah. I was telling Mia, that is truer. That is more you. It is your yeah. truth. People use that word without really knowing what it means. And I think that's what's going to cause an audience to really want to go with you on the journey, much more so than like, it sounds nice or you trip over it because you're trying to have the quote, correct answer. So that's where it begins is the first thing we got to do as storytellers is be more honest with we're ourselves. Doing snaps. We're doing snaps. We're feeling that story. That's yeah. I love that. And I think it's, it's hard to do. And it's for, for me, I mean, you've known me a long time. I've been a lot of videos and a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's been this show that has removed for me the extra layers of like protection of what I'm going to say. Yeah. Because it's like, you just, it's just too tiring to keep it up. So at some point it's like, yes, I'm talking about the silly things in my life. Like my basement got massively flooded and I'm oh, really geez. excited about some show, all these like different things. And like, I remember thinking, should I share this? Should I, is this bad? Like, is this, you know, but it's the truth is it is me. It is. And then it's really hard, I think, to root for somebody if everything's great. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like I think you it's love an pretty, underdog. it's you need the, the actual thing is like you're doing something really great and then mm -hmm. something doesn't work. And one of the advantages of at least bringing people is like, yeah, this thing sucked. I was like, oh, OK. Or like parenting, it's the greatest thing ever. And it's like devastatingly hard. It's like, yeah, you know, yes. well, walk around with no sleep and you're confused. Like when someone's late for a meeting, you're like, why the hell are you so late? Like, don't you understand the like alternative I have to this at the end of the day is like, I'm gonna have to do extra work. Like, oh, there's all these things yes. in there. Um, but it, for, at least for my, my experience, it was just like only doing this over and over and yep. being tired by keeping the wall up is what caused the walls to just like fall down. Yeah. And it's like, of course, the truth is when we hear those other moments, like that's what we connect to is like the real stuff in people's lives. That's what people don't seem to understand in the business world that a lot yes. of people understand in the, uh, in the arts, which is what people connect to is not the action. It's not the topics. It's the story's emotion. Yeah. It's the emotional yeah. stakes and the meaning. 
And like, you know, here's a really simple example. In, in our mastermind, we have people that keep chickens in their backyard yeah. and like want to talk about that, but they teach marketing or they love skydiving and they teach, yeah. you know, UX or something. And, and what you see is this delineation between chatting with them as people and them lighting up about the things they love. Yeah. And then their content feeling really generic, very yeah. commodity stuff that anybody could have created. And it doesn't take much to just like scoop a little dollop, tiny little bit of like, so you were doing this thing with a chicken the other day and yeah. that made you realize something, which, huh, that kind of sounds like marketing. And as long as you go further, it, it, it's a paradox. People think that to connect externally, you have to think, what does one in my audience do? Everyone knows the importance of AI to marketers today in this post, yeah. six things for it, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. people, they speak in general broad terms because they're thinking about what do they want to hear from me or what does one do in this scenario? And I'll teach to that. And I think the problem is they've probably tried to tell a personal story before and it didn't hit. And so they retreat to the general. And my thing, the paradox is to connect deeper externally, you actually have to go deeper internally. And because there you arrive at not just what happened to you, you know, it could be profound and, and change something in a drastic way. It could be a seminal life moment. It could be something bad like a flood or something fun, like something your chicken did. It's not that you just stop at the topics and the action. If you go further internally, you get to the emotion. You get to what it means. And that's what people connect to. And if you don't believe me, think about Ted Lasso, right? A lot of people don't care about soccer. A lot of people don't care about sports. But that show, very famously, is about kindness and it's about people evolving. Uh, Stephen King, it's not really about horrifying characters. It's about the feeling of isolation in Carrie or something like that. Or Spider-Man. Right. I mean, with great power comes great responsibility. It's yes, there's a voyeurism to watching a superhero swing through the city of New York, but it's really not relatable to say there's this teenager and he got bit by a radioactive spider and like that's super relatable to you. Right. But what's yeah. very relatable is somebody who has a responsibility and a home life and they're trying to somehow figure out how does this fit with like the gifts that I've been given in my life and helping other people and all that profoundly relatable. So like people in the arts seem to get this and people in the business world ought to catch up because the alternative is you just stay on the hamster wheel and keep churning out, you know, forgettable things where nothing is working. So you got to do more. Here's something that made me think of, because I think another thing that trips people up when they're going from personal to business is they either haven't mastered the art of the segue or they feel really uncomfortable by being like hard pivot. Like, what advice do you have for people who are trying, you know, they're trying to do the dollop, as you said, but they don't know how to move to the next topic? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I'll slip you a 20 later because I clearly bribed you to set me up perfectly or something. <laughs> I, don't know where you, I don't know where you came out with that, Sylvie. That was perfect. Because yeah. I'm thinking about this all the time, which is there's this awesome little phrase that once you hear it, you won't unsee it. Like, storytellers will either say it overtly or remix it. You know, really great storytellers omit it, but it's implied, but it's always there. So the phrase is, to your point, I'm making that pivot. That's the thing about. So the, the, the little mini structure people can use to tell a small story from their personal life with big meaning. And by the way, I keep saying personal. I don't mean you're like vulnerable. It's not like you're airing your laundry. It could be something that just you observe walking something the dog, specific right? specific in your life. Yes. Yeah. A little yeah. lived moment. So... That's the thing about comes out like this. The first step of the story is this happened, which made me realize that's piece two. And that is less about the action. It's more about like, what did the action make you feel or think that is starting to sound much like what you teach as an expert? 
And then you arrive at this moment where you go, well, that's the thing about this thing I'm teaching you, plus this insight I'm revealing to you. So here's an example of how it goes down. So I'll give you a really simple one. If time allows, there's one from Ira Glass, which is just chef's kiss, which we can talk about too, but the one that I like to use. So I'm Italian. If anyone is seeing video of this, they're like, yeah, no shit. Cause like gel in the hair, hands, like inescapably Italian, inescapably. You Except- have to keep that gel there just for that line. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Line. just yeah. for the bit. It's, everything's just a bit. Line. Uh, so I have an espresso maker in my home and it's like a pretty nice espresso. <laughs> it's espresso. Yeah, go yeah, all the not, way, you know? It's espresso. Yeah, it's yeah. not Jay Aconzo. It's Jay yeah. Aconzo. Um, <laughs> there you go. But you got to do the, the now hand. Now we're there, yeah. How do you learn to speak Italian? <laughs> Just do this with your hand and then speak. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyways, uh, so I have this espresso machine, right? So let's use this phrase. That's the thing about and talk about what is ultimately a big nothing burger in life, which is like a guy making coffee, right? Because it's not profound. It's not newsworthy. But something happened with the espresso that is noteworthy to me, let's say. So for years as an Italian, I felt embarrassed to have this machine in my home because I would ask my wife to make the espresso for me. She's not Italian. And I would be like afraid of making it myself. Like I'd never made one. She had a beautiful one that she added to our home when we got married. I'm excited about that. I love drinking it. I was afraid to make espresso. Chris is insane. Yes. Um, If you fast forward to today, however, I make it almost every day. So what changed? I tried making it once. All right, let's break there. So all I did was say, this happened, right? And as you do it more and more, you get good with the details and hopefully that's somewhat entertaining and there's like a question on your mind that you want me to keep talking. That's not a teachable moment. That's not relevant to the work that I want to share with the world or my audience or something like that. It's just, this happened. Tiny little moment, nothing profound, which made me realize, okay, so now I made it once, that one time. And that made me realize Oh, I actually was not afraid of making espresso this whole time for years. I thought I was afraid of espresso and making espresso or the machine. I was actually just afraid of something unknown because once you make it, you're like, this isn't that hard. And even when you mess it up, you're like, that wasn't that big a deal. Or even if you mess it up and you're like, I don't know how to fix this. Then you Google that very specific question instead of like taking the course on how to make amazing artisanal espresso and following six espresso influencers, you know, as we do. (laughs) So that made me realize this simple idea that popped to mind. Oh, right. I wasn't afraid of the thing. I was afraid of the unknown. Well, that's the thing about trying new things. What we think we're afraid of is the task itself when really we're afraid of the unknown. So if we want to try something new rather than do what we normally do, which is go through endless research and follow endless people or outsources or not do it, we should move faster to try the thing once. Because if we're really afraid of the unknown instead of the task, move quickly to make the unknown known. Right. So now I'm getting to that pivot point with the phrase, that's the thing about, about. and it contains like two beautiful elements just to use that phrase, or even if you don't say it out loud, remember it, that's the thing about. So now you move from the world of you to the world of us, me and the audience together. I'm trying to teach you something that's a forcing function. And then it also forces you to arrive at an insight, something insightful, which is much more valuable to the audience than just something informational. That's pulled from your personal perspective, right? Because like you're on the hook now for coming up. Well, what's the thing about? And like the best part of all this is you can tell a story about literally anything and then use that little hinge, that little pivot point, right? Like I I think about like the espresso thing is nothing. Uh, The matrix, right? Like it's not a literal story. Like what the matrix wasn't saying was, well, that's the thing about society. Robots are going to imprison humans and use us all as batteries. No, that's not what the thing about the matrix was. They were using it as an allegory. That's the thing about 
society, what we think is reality is just a collection of systems that people in power put in place to keep us compliant and to keep them in power, right? So that's a really big macro level example, or you can use a really, really small thing. I feel like I just took the red pill. The red pill or the blue pill? Which one one did he take? I don't know. Do you know Kung Fu also? Yeah. I know Kung Fu. Yes. Um, I love those examples. And I feel like it's it's that was so, like, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. And I think Masterclass. it's yes. And it and it is interesting because it's like we it's this is the always thing I struggle with is that gap between our own experience day to day and then what people think they should do at work. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, what content are you consuming? Which podcast do you like? Like, do you like these comedy podcasts? Do you like these entrepreneurial podcasts? What is the thing? And then like you're spending all your time, you know, really being entertained in your free time. You're being entertained in different ways, reading things, watching things, listening to things. And then you get to work and you're like, I don't think my, well, my audience is especially B2B. It's like they're buttoned up. So they, they're, B2B is basically, you know, formal wear. Like they're, they're not going to, they're not going to have fun. They're, they're not going to care. Like they don't want a story. They just want the hard facts. When of course the truth is we're programmed basically to just connect with stories and people. Yeah. And so there's this huge opportunity. And I mean, you and I have been talking about this opportunity for like four years, I think, five years. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time you told me like what Wish is really about is helping make the business world more human. And I was like, yeah, that's it. Like you used to be beating that drum that I think the phrase that I got from you was, you know, you don't market a product, you market a mission. But like, that's the same idea of like, you know, and then people take that and then they ask you, Chris, or me as a storyteller to ask us questions like, well, how, how long did it take you, Jay, to come up with that episode? Or you know, how do I take an episode and repurpose it into 17 pieces of content? Which, oh, by the way, if the original thing is crap, all you're doing is hearing tiny bits of crap crap on the internet. Yep. Yep. Uh, Oh, by the way. (laughs) But like that's, we're we're anchoring to the wrong things. Like we're always, as business owners and entrepreneurs and marketers, as professionals, for some reason, we're stuck on the container. We're stuck on like the the thing that contains the the meaning. The currency that you pay to like, to, to access it. It's like, yes, the yeah. tweet. It's all, how do you write a great tweet in 140 characters? Like, well, tell right. a great story, do interesting things, have a unique perspective, like all the, all the stuff. Yeah. I want to get to this other thing, which is, so if you have a B2C product today, you know, it could be anything. Like I just bought this, like these additional things for my home gym. I bought the like, um, different grips you can put on a pull-up bar. So it's like other angles, right? Super specific thing. I have a home gym. I love to invest in it. I love to work out in my home gym. I love to buy stuff from my home gym. I follow influencers that are like, there's like the bodybuilder people and there's like the extreme, like smallest space home gym people, whatever. And like, if you want to get to me as that customer, you go to those folks and you talk to them. And if you have a good product, you sponsor them. Suddenly I'm seeing this stuff. But at B2B, that's so, it's actually hard. Like, show me the B2B influencers. Like, where are they? Because like, this is obviously the future of uh, how people connect and understand brands and needs and products. I'm not going to say B2B, like on the enterprise side, maybe it's different. But I still think there's human beings like making decisions and like brand matters. But especially SMB, this matters. So my question is, how should someone who is running a B2B business think about this? How should they mm-hmm. think about where the market's at? How should they think about the opportunities that exist today? I'll give you the punchline, then we can talk about the setup and Let's all that it. good stuff. I think the punchline is 
we as marketers, now you can define that as I have a marketing team with titles and looks like marketing and, you know, there's an org chart in marketing, or you can just say, well, I'm the owner of the business. I do the marketing, yeah. right? And everything in between. If you're showing up in the world, a lot of marketers think it's about creating content. The most important thing to think about is how do I create connection? Now that sounds trite, but there's actually craft on both sides, right? There's craft to creating content. There's craft to creating connection. And if you start with this craft to creating content, you mostly think about reach. You mostly think about how do I put more things out in the world and get them in front of more people, which I just disagree. That's not what marketing is. Marketing is not about getting in front of people. It's about ensuring they care. And that brings us back to the connection side. If you start with the craft of connection, you necessarily think more about resonance. So the punchline to all of this is I think we are drowning in advice and spending way more time than we ought to be thinking about trying to grow reach. And most of the time we don't have reach problems, we have resonance problems. And because if people don't care, they don't act. And if they don't act, we don't see results, right? So like whether you're a cold, hard capitalist or you're like me and you're like a bleeding heart creative that wants to wax eloquent about the creative process all the time, both types of people and everyone in between should care about resonance because that's why people take an action. So that's the punchline to all of this. Most marketing looks like reach, 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 reach. The best marketing today is actually about resonance. And then when you look at that opportunity for um, the way that people are buying and the, you know, the way that there's connection is happening. So exactly mm -hmm. to your point, like, you know, if I bat, we'll keep it on the same example. I buy these like things for my home gym because I'm really compelled that like, I'm going to get injured less. I'm going to like make more progress faster person saying it really trust like there's a it's i'm connecting with the person already and i'm yeah. trusting them and i'm connecting the thing what do you do to drive that connection when you don't have the you know garage gym influencers what the do you budget, how do you right yeah you're buying your way into somebody else's yeah or you're it's, buying I mean, you're buying your way to somebody else's or you want to create your own yeah like how should people think about that Right. Well, I think you just hinted at it. I think that's what happens is marketers learn to stop creating content and actually themselves create creators like organizations and B2B either hire, partner with, or internally start to create and cultivate talent with a capital T. Because this, this blows my mind, Chris, like in media, I, you know, I started as a sports journalist, was a huge fan of Grantland, the prestige magazine at ESPN before they shuttered it. A lot of those people became founding members of the ringer.com, which still persists today. It's now owned by Spotify. And when I think about my relationship with them, you know, number one, I'm tumbling through personalities. And then I wake up one day and I go, oh, I'm a huge fan of the brand, the ringer, Grantland. And number two, when they internally say talent, they're not using that as a compliment, like you're talented. They're like, you are the front facing communicator whose job is to actually learn this very difficult skill, which is to create that connection between audience and an idea and an audience and you audience and the brand. And in B2B, where is the talent typically? It's either non-existent or it's a 5% time of the executive. You know, I get this all the time where like sometimes the people who come to me are from corporations, not individual like authors and thinkers. And they're like, we want to make a great show. And we already have the host picked out. I'm like, great, who's the host? And I'm like, before you say anything, it's your boss, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's, it's my boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's what it takes to be really great as a host, is your boss going to learn how to do this? Do I have a direct line to your boss to teach them how to show up and be a good interviewer? Because all the stuff you see that's effortless out there is hard won by these people that were either behind the scenes away from the show working at it or on the show. They've been doing it a while, right? So it, it blows my mind that here you have the most powerful voices in the world 
these entertainers and educators in all domains, including the business world, who are professional capital T talent. And then we go, I think my boss is going to spend almost no time thinking about this. And we're going to launch a podcast. And we are also going to be on the list of five to 10 episodes, <laughs> which is what the data shows existed in the world. <laughs> five yeah. to 10 episodes among weekly listeners. Can you get on that short list against capital T talent? So I think the solution to that, and this is why I think content marketing teams are in trouble today, is to actually cultivate talent, is to actually have dedicated roles, whether it's a big percent or a hundred percent, where people look like public performers, public storytellers, public teachers, not, well, I also run 16 marketing channels and I'm public talent. And if you're wondering where the hell do I find the time or budget, you're probably doing a whole lot of stuff that's not working. So the first thing is do an audit of what's not working kill that off. And before you do the same kind of motion in a new place, just consider there might be an entirely new motion or skill that you need, which is to be the role of talent. I love that answer. And I, I think it, it got to the challenge and the opportunity that exists. Because if you were to do a big influencer strategy, there's not that many people that not that much talent with a capital T out there. Uh, so it's an opportunity for there to be more creators. Yeah. And there's an opportunity for people to grow more of them internally. And it's, it seems like if you look at the, the mega trends that are happening, this is like one of the biggest mega trends like yes. happening today yes. is, is this I opportunity. Agree. Completely agree. You're going to have this um, collection of content, which is sort of like checking boxes. And sometimes that's useful. And most times it's not. But like, let's not be naive here. A lot of organizations are going to create a lot of that content for better or for worse. Um, and we can debate the merits, but it's it's going to keep happening. And that stuff is going to be a person creating more with a tool, right? It's going to be the expected stuff. But when that's the stuff you create, because it's a commodity, it's not overly valuable. It's not overly original. The only way to compete is you have to reach others before others like you do, right? Because you're all saying similar things and creating similar types of content. I, I like to think of this as like, you're all in a cage. Let's call that commodity cage and you're all on hamster wheels and you're trying really hard and you're looking at your competition, you're like, I'm going to beat you so hard. I'm going to repurpose my podcast so hard. I'm going to rank on search so hard. I'm going to go viral. And I'm like, sir, you're on a hamster wheel. You're going to go nowhere. Right. But like point being, people are going to keep doing that. The hamster wheel is not going away. But I do think that the differentiating factor out there is, is there some kind of perspective that you can imbue your topic with? Like as people who do shows, I'm pointing to all of us, we understand the value of having a show premise, right? And that's a developed, considered, strategic thing, which is more than your topics. It's also your angle into the topics. It's your perspective on the topics. And that gives people a reason why they should care. And so if you're internally and you're like, I only have five hours to spend, my question is, how do we make sure you spend those five doing things that are higher impact? In other words, more of your work works so you don't feel like you're on the hamster wheel. And I think it actually starts with just what's the prem overall premise? People talk about brand story. This is different. This is like, I care about making business more human. So do a lot of people. Okay. But I think about it this way, or I teach creativity in business, but I think creativity is the sum total of lots of tiny choices. It has nothing to do with anything big. So my entire lens, the thing from which everything else follows my entire lens is I'm going to show up and I'm going to demystify the creative process. I'm going to take big things and show you the small things. So then you can start to make your own big things by focusing on the small. That's a premise, right? 
yet another creativity and business podcast we don't need, but a creativity and business podcast or brand or newsletter or thinker that has that premise, that angle. Now you're differentiated. So everything you do stands a higher likelihood of both standing out and connecting deeper, right? So all this, I think, starts with not overhauling your business and creating a bunch of like talent pools or training grounds for individual hosts or whatever. It's just... (laughs) Can you give everybody almost like a pair of goggles to see the world better so that the current work they're doing works better, right? Can you develop a stronger premise so that every single thing they're already publishing starts to stick? And then over time, they're going to have their own opinions and views on that, which is when they start to act more like talent. I love, yeah. And it just makes me think about internally as your company grows, you have people who have to do a lot of communicating and you some if you're lucky you figure out that you also don't just talk about the work when you're communicating you talk about your life you talk about things that happen to you you do things totally. that like you know help you relate to others and like as you're as you're thinking about what Jay is talking about and what Sylvia and I are talking about here like there's a massive opportunity it's hard to go after but if you can't take the right steps like the impact can be so huge um, yeah. And I'm just really yeah. excited. I'm also super excited for you, Jay, like seeing you and your career and how this has evolved. And like, you're in the right spot. You're helping people at exactly the thing you care so deeply about. Yeah. Um, and it's awesome to see that. Thank you. I, I, it always looks easier from the outside looking in, right? You know, this as an entrepreneur, I'm hearing that and I'm going, but this, that, and the other thing, right? Yeah. Uh, but what feels really, really nice is like, yeah, I think there's an alignment between the moment and the meaning for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I want to do one quick rapid fire section before we go. This is called the naming game. Um, So we're going to put your creatorness to the test. uh, See how much creativity. Your wordsmithing, yes. (laughs) So this is called name that thing. Are you ready? I'm ready. So I'm gonna I'm going to give you some descriptions of something, and then I would like you to come up with the name. Okay, these are fictional things, and I'm not trying to give them a name, like a brand name. Like they're things that don't exist yet. Hmm. Let's do it. Okay. Up first, <laughs> a new Crayola crayon color. Robin's egg yolk. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> good. You know what it is, uh, though. It's, it's it's Robin's egg blue and yolk yellow, just mixed together. It's okay. just a delightful <laughs> springtime green. That's all it is. <laughs> oh my god. I was like, how is this thing going to go? I'm looking at these notes. I'm just like, is this, no. this going to be a disaster? But no, first one was a hit. So it's up Coming next, out swinging. Name that thing. A mocktail with watermelon, cucumber, lime, and soda. Everything diluted but the conversation. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Too quick. Because okay. you know why? Because like, it's all kind of like a little weak but still flavorful stuff. Cucumber, water, <laughs> it's watery things, right? And you're not getting drunk, so the conversation stays pretty strong. So. Okay. Now do the exact same thing. Watermelon, cucumber, lime, and soda. But this time it has gin in it. Everything diluted but the conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I like that too. All right. Next one. Um, the actually, last, last one. one. Last, last one. one. Last one. A new podcast about visiting pizza shops all over the country. My dream job? I mean, let's get real here. A new podcast about visiting pizza shops all over the country. Uh, Spinning pies and spinning yarns. I don't know. It's really bad. That's really bad. (laughs) It's all right. Take it. Look, um, Jay, so good to see you. Thank you for coming on the show. This is a delight. 
Uh, where can people connect with you yeah. to follow you and learn more? You're a very quick jaunt over in your podcast app to Unthinkable, which is the storytelling podcast that I host, or jayaconzo.com for all of my books, my speaking, my coaching, my mastermind, you name it. Amazing. Good to see you, man. Thank you. You too. A lot of energy in that one. We were laughing. You were just, you were just I silent was snapping. snapping. You were I did, like, yes. I, I gave him snaps. Yeah. I, you know, he's a very good storyteller. And Jay is also a very good storytelling teacher. And those things don't always go hand in hand. You could be oh, a no. great storyteller and a mm-hmm. teacher. Mm-hmm. You'd be a great teacher and a storyteller. Mm-hmm. But he's got the... One, two, punch. One, two. And the boxing. <laughs> I know. I'm all over the place. Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> let's hit that bag. <laughs> Tell a great story. No, but I, I think it's like, it's funny because he's been talking about this and working and helping folks with like resonance over reach and like how to build great content and how to pull the drama out and connect you with a person as opposed to just a business. There's a lot of stuff in here. Yeah. And I think it is. One of the things I think that was very interesting about this episode is he is talking about the hardest part of this, which is like, you want to do it. You believe in it. How do you actually grow the talent? And it takes reps and sets. You know, it's a lot of work. And it also takes this ability to share more of your unique self. And it could, where if this was like, you know, if you're making something and it's it's not for business Customers, it's just pure joy and entertainment. That's where you would start. It's the fact that it is, you know, a lot of people that I talk to are trying to figure out how to do this at work. And that's what they struggle so much. It's like, no, we're all still. This is why if you start a meeting and the first thing you say is like, hey, anyone have like an exciting weekend? And they and then people tell you stuff and you feel this like warm, fuzzy feeling of like, oh, look, we're all doing these great things, or or this really sad thing happened in someone's life, or this really poignant thing happened. Whatever, you see the other side of a person, it's easier to relate, it's easier to build trust, it's easier to have a stronger relationship. Of course, that's the same with this content, but that doesn't look like listicles. That's not <laughs> 20 things that I just learned. It's it's not that. It's a it's different thing. Yeah. I mean, I think. What's funny and maybe the reason I was snapping so much and laughing is that like, I don't know any other way than that. Like that is how I exist in this world. Like I'm like, like, oh, I spilled something or like, (laughs) or like I did this crazy thing this weekend. So like, it's interesting to me that that doesn't come naturally to people. Yeah. But it also makes sense that, especially like the higher up you get in a company, like I feel like there are more messages that's like, you're supposed to be like, you're buttoned up. You're supposed to be buttoned up. And you're supposed to reduce risk. So that's what ends up happening. That's what everybody thinks is they think that sharing parts of their personal life or opinions is increasing risk. And so they don't do it. Or Or not knowing the answer to a question is increased risk. And it's actually like, it's increased humanity. Mm. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Mm. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) You know, know it's a problem when you say that. And the first thought I had was like, oh, we don't have any sponsors for pipes. (laughs) 
but I, <laughs> I but know if we there, did, but if we, there are a lot on these like comedy podcasts I listen to. And so like, it's like a few pop to mind. Yeah. <laughs> you said that. It's like, <laughs> you're like, where are the pipe people? And <laughs> we need them. <laughs> Anyhow. Anyhow, that is the episode with Jay. Thank you so much for being here with us. If you want to connect, uh, you can find us on LinkedIn. You can find us on x.com. You can find us on every podcasting app under the sun. You can find us on YouTube. We have a new channel on YouTube. Talking to us on YouTube. Go check us out there. Um, and please don't forget to rate and review the show. And we'll see you next time. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.